It's great to see you today. It's been good to be in the Lord's house with His people to praise and worship. I sure appreciate the worship team and the choir for their leadership this morning. Also, uh, as Tim came to not only uh, lead us in, in reading the verse, but sharing with it, uh, sharing the verse for, verses from memory. Thank you for that. It's been encouraging just to be drawn into that passage of Scripture all summer as we have, as we have attempted to know Jesus better and better throughout the summers. We've looked at different passages of Scripture. Uh, that one in Colossians certainly reveals a lot about who he is. This morning we're going to be back in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, and so I invite your attention to Mark chapter 6. While you're turning there, let me mention a couple of things to you quickly. Uh, you may have heard last week I referenced briefly a, a ministry opportunity that is developing in Ellisville. Uh, right, uh, in fact, it will, it will impact students at Ellisville Elementary. Uh, we are one of three churches helping to start a Good News Club, which is an after-school Bible study for kids. There's activities, there's music, there's, there's teaching, and uh, because of it happening right after school, uh, we have been working with West County Bible Church, which is right across the street, and they have had a long-term ministry uh, with teachers there in the school already, and they are partnering with us and with Red Tree Church, another Baptist church that uh, meets at uh, Crestview uh, Middle School. Uh, the three churches coming together to get this Good News Club off the ground. And so I have two things I'd like to ask you for, in addition to praying for it, right? Uh, the first one is, if, if this would be an area you might be interested in serving in, uh, it'll be Thursday afternoons. And if you'd take the Connect card, write a little note to me that you'd be interested in learning more about that. A lot of different types of positions, as you might imagine, and some of it may be impacted by the number of students who are able to come. Second one is, you may have uh, a student of Ellisville Elementary in your family, or you may have a, a friend, a, a family friend who does. And so since this is brand new, we're trying to get the word out there so that students know it's, uh, it's available to them. And so these Good News Clubs take place all over America, but at the current time, there's not any in the Rockwood District. And so there's a lot of prayer going into getting this one established. It might even lead to, to something else in other elementary schools as well. So if you wouldn't mind, take that Connect card, give some feedback on that, and uh, please be, be praying as, uh, as it uh, develops here. Uh, and we'll begin within the next month. This summer we are in a series called Knowing Jesus. And you know that we began the summer, first half, looking at the I Am statements of Jesus found and the Gospel of John. The second half of the summer, we've been working through five different miracles, actually seven of them that fall into five different categories. And so we said at the beginning that there were these five categories, control of nature, physical healing, spiritual healing, speaking specifically about uh, relieving someone from demonic possession. We looked at that last week. Uh, today, provision of food. Next week, resurrection from death. And so we've been looking at these throughout the summer, and as we do so, we're, we're seeing the identity of Jesus as he, as he unveils who He is, His strength, His authority, but also His love and His compassion. And so I, I hope that as we, uh, as we look through uh, these different miracles, that we will see that they were given, that His message could be confirmed, but also that His power and compassion could be demonstrated. I came across a definition of compassion, actually a couple of them. The first one is a dictionary definition of compassion. A sympathetic consciousness of a person's distress together with a desire to alleviate it. 
So you can see that the idea of compassion really has two parts, right? One is to see it, but another is to have the desire to do something about it. An author by the name of Daniel Goldman, he defines it in a similar way. He says, true compassion means not only feeling another's pain, but also being moved to help relieve it. And so as we read today about the compassion of Christ, I think we're going to see that he indeed was moved to make a difference. I read about a, a man who was traveling for business, and he happened to stay in a, in a hotel room, and he had to tell the, uh, the front desk that there were bugs all over his room. I know that's kind of a theme from last week, isn't it? I, I don't know that the bugs were spiders, right? But he had bugs in the room, so he contacted the front desk, and, and uh, after he checked out, he decided that he would send a letter to the corporate headquarters of the hotel, just to let them know that his room, his hotel room, had been infested with bugs. And so he received a letter signed uh, by the president of the company that said this, we are humiliated that a man of your integrity, a man of your reputation, a man of your importance in the community should have had this experience in one of our hotels. We are deeply sorry. And so the man began to feel a little better, that maybe they'd heard him and they understood the situation. And then as he was folding the letter, he's putting it back in the envelope, he noticed that there was a, a sticky note down in the envelope. And see, he pulled the sticky note out, and it was handwritten, and it, and it said, it said uh, uh, send this guy the bug letter. And so, so what felt, felt like a heartfelt, compassion, uh, compassionate note really was just a form letter, right? Send the guy the, the bug letter, right? So as I read that, and I thought, you know, how, how often do we, do we kind of do the bug letter to one another, right? How often do we, do we just give out the cliche, kind of do, do the, the standard thing? But is that compassion? Because the definitions we've looked at said it's, it's not just acknowledging that there is something, but there's that motivation to come alongside and truly give some assistance, so this morning, we will, we will indeed be looking at uh, Mark chapter 6. We're going to see that, uh, that the Lord uh, is, a, is a, uh, a Savior who indeed understands compassion. And we're going to see it defined in His life, but also in His activity. We know that there are needs all around us. We see uh, situations and sometimes we are compelled to assist, and other times we may, we may not be. And I, I hope that one of the things that happens as we read about this miracle is that we are drawn closer to who Christ is and what He wants to do through us. Mark Twain once said, You should never tell people your problems, because 80% of them won't care, and the other 20% will think you deserve them. <laughs> now, I don't know if he's right or wrong, but I know that, it, that what he, his, his perspective doesn't apply in this room. We're following Christ. We're going to look at Mark chapter 6. We're going to see that there is a physical need, but there is a greater need in this crowd that Christ sees. So as we read through it this morning, we're going to see it from two perspectives. We're going to see what the crowd would be receiving and, 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 uh, and uh uh, having from, from Christ, but we're also going to see that the disciples have something to learn as well, something that they are receiving from Christ as, uh, as part of this account. So let's look at Mark chapter 6, and we're going to pick up in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus 
and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37, You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish, among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of God for us today. Let's see what can we learn together from this miracle. I know it's a very familiar passage of scripture. In fact, if you were to ask people even out in the community if they could name a miracle of Jesus, this likely would be one that would come to mind. In fact, it is one of the miracles that is listed in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, some would say it's the only miracle that's listed in all four, with the exception of the resurrection of Jesus also occurring in all four. Now, there's a little debate about some of the miracles where blind people's sight is restored and, and confusion on, on who that might have been and whether it was the, some of the same miracles repeated in all four or if it was different people. Because as we said, we, we know that there were other miracles. There were many that, uh, that Christ performed. But as we consider this one in particular, we're going to again notice the interaction that Christ has with his disciples. And I hope today it will be instructive for us as well. Here's the first point this morning. The disciples needed rest. You notice we started reading a few verses before the miracle account, just to set the context. The disciples had been serving. They had been teaching. In fact, they had just returned from their first ministry assignment. If you look back in, uh, earlier in the, in the chapter, verses 7 through 13 speak of them being sent out in pairs to go and to minister on their own. In fact, it even says... Uh, that they went out, they preached, verse 12, that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. So they'd been out. And then it says here in, in verse 30 that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So that, that's the context. They are coming back from really their first assignment. 
And they have got some stories to tell. And they begin sharing with Jesus all that they had experienced and, and, the, and the power of God at work through them. And it's interesting, in verse 31, that Jesus wanted them to take some time to do what? Say it a little louder. Rest. Isn't that great? Isn't that great to hear? Because sometimes that may not be what comes to mind. We have a season of ministry, or we have a particular ministry assignment. Maybe, maybe this summer you helped with Vacation Bible School. I can promise you, verse 31 would apply to Friday afternoon of Vacation Bible School, right? It is time to rest. I talked to one of our small group teachers this morning, and he was talking about the lesson that, that he, had, he had given earlier in the day and, and the study and, and looking at this and that and, and preparing. And, and, I, and I know that that takes effort and work. And when that lesson is done and you've, you've shared it, just to be able to, to pause and reflect upon what Christ is doing and, and rest in that moment. Maybe you've been leading a neighborhood Bible study this summer, week after week. And you get to that point where it's all culminated and you're finished and you know that you've been, you've been sharing God's word. You've been interacting, maybe even with people that had not heard the gospel. And it's time when it's over to have that season of renewal. Maybe you've been preparing meals and, and serving those with a physical need, visiting someone who, who is hurting or is, who is sick. All of these things take, take time. They take energy. Maybe you, you came back from a mission trip and, and you come back and you're, you're very honored and excited about all the opportunities, but yet you're exhausted, aren't you? All that effort, all that energy. And it's, it's like this verse here is telling us, just as the disciples were told, it's okay to take some time and rest. Be renewed. Allow the Lord to, to restore. So that's actually something that I want us to see as an application point this morning. Take time. To be renewed and rested after a season of strenuous service. And as Jim was praying this morning for the church family and all the many ways that the church family serves one another in the community, I hope, I hope just as we promote new opportunities to serve, that we will also encourage you to take that time and be renewed, just as the Lord did for the disciples. Now, it's interesting. In their case, their rest didn't last real long, did it? because we already read the, the rest of the passage. They got in the boat. They were going across the Sea of Galilee. They were going to a northern part near Bethsaida in the countryside, probably thinking they would be able to go there and rest. But all the rest they were going to get was on the boat, right? right? Because here they arrive, and there are thousands, probably even more than 5,000. If you look at the end of the text, it said 5,000 men. There could have been many, many more that were there that day waiting. Let's look at the second point. Let's talk about the crowd for a minute. The crowd wanted a leader. The crowd wanted a leader. So the disciples needed rest. The crowd wanted a leader. We know that according to Luke's account of this miracle, that they were not far from Beth, Bethsaida. Uh, but they were certainly outside of town. They're in a remote rural area, uh, which is why the food wasn't easily accessible. A remote place. But if you look at verses 33 and 34, you can see that the crowd was waiting upon their arrival. So they, they, they arrived, and all of a sudden, it was time to minister. Now, this particular crowd had a motivation for being there. And I want us to think about their motivation for a minute. They had heard, they had heard about Jesus. And with all the discussion and all the talk about Jesus, what do you think was being shared among the communities and the villages and the area? That Jesus was one who could do what? 
Yeah, he could, he could, he could, he could heal sickness. He could cast out demons. You know, he could, he could do all kinds of miraculous things. And so the people were intrigued. But they also, they also had an idea. Maybe, just maybe, this is the one who is going to come and deliver us from our oppression. And who was the oppressors? Who were those oppressors in their day? It was Rome. The, the, the Roman Empire was, 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 was over them. And, and it, it wasn't like the days in Egypt, because in those days they were actually in Egypt, but now the, the oppressors were over them in their own land. And if you, if you, if you look at, at other parts of, of Mark chapter 6, you will see a very disturbing account that's given to us right before the feeding of the 5,000. And it's the death of someone who would have been greatly loved by the nation of Israel, John the Baptist. He was, he was beheaded by Herod Antipas. And so you can just think that one thing after another happens, and, and yes, there is, there is quite an understanding that they would like to be released from the oppressive, uh, uh, the oppressive strength of Rome. Now, one of the commentators I was, I was reading even specifically said this particular region, this part of the Sea of Galilee on the northern side, not far from Bethsaida, that was kind of like the hub of, of the resistance, if you will. This is where they got together and, and made plans and, and thought, how, how can we uh, come against Rome? They were, they were known as zealots. And so within this crowd, as Jesus was coming ashore, they had this idea, maybe he's the one to set us free from our oppression. They were looking for what? A revolution. They were looking for a revolutionary leader. And who better than this miracle worker? Now, was Jesus bringing a revolution? Was Jesus coming to set free from oppression? You bet he was. But it wasn't exactly what they had in mind. He had his father's agenda before him. Now, if you want to look a little more about, about the perspective of the, of the people in that region, you can read John's account of this miracle because it ends in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 with a little bit of detail that will help us see their mindset. This is what it says. When the people saw the sign he had done, of course, feeding the 5,000, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what did they have in mind? They had in mind a king, a leader, but they were thinking of one who would be a political leader, one that could, that could come and could overthrow Rome, maybe even miraculously. So now let's go back to Mark's gospel, chapter 6. Look at verse 34. I'm going to read the first half of it. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them. And we're going to talk about compassion in just a minute. That's an overarching theme here. But look at the last part of the verse, the middle part actually, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now when we think about that phrase, if you're like me, you might begin to think of the Lord is my shepherd. And you might begin to think of Psalm 23. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that kind of compassion and that kind of shepherding in a minute. But I want you to know that when, when Jesus was using this, this phrase, when this, when, this, when this idea of sheep without a shepherd comes to mind, it's actually the wording 
of an Old Testament phrase that references a group of people without a leader. And it's found in the book of Numbers, chapter 27. This happens to be the very end of the life of Moses. And he is asking God to prepare someone to lead the people. Why? Because, because he was about to die. And he didn't want them to be like sheep without a shepherd. He had led them out of oppression. He had led them out of Egypt. He had led them in such a way where God worked miracles through him and around him and provided for them. And yet he was not the one to take them into the promised land. Listen to what he says. So Moses appealed to the Lord. May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come back in before them and who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. That's that kind of leadership. And Moses, he was a spiritual leader, but he was also a national leader, wasn't he? And so as, as Jesus looked at that crowd, it's as if he knew what was on their minds. And he saw and he noticed that, yes, indeed, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So connect that verse, Mark 6, 34, with Numbers chapter 27, verse 17. And you can see what the people were thinking. They were thinking, Herod Antipas is not our leader. The one who just beheaded John the Baptist is not our leader. We need a leader. And you know what? They were right. They did. They didn't even have a leader within the spiritual community. In fact, these priests, these scribes, these Pharisees, they were taking advantage of the people. They weren't shepherds either. Jesus referenced them on one occasion as a brood of vipers, right? Now, he's, he's talking about spiritual leaders in that statement. So, yes, indeed, these are people that were desperate. They were oppressed. And boy, did they ever want a revolution. And here they thought they had the revolutionary himself. Maybe he would work some miracles. Who knows what he might do? But certainly he could overthrow Rome. But Jesus had a different plan. In fact, if you look at verse 34 again, we didn't read the end of it. It says, they were, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. So Jesus knew what they wanted. But he also knew what they needed. And it says he began to teach. That doesn't give us descriptions, does it, on what exactly he was teaching. But, but we, can, we can assume that he was, he was teaching about uh, uh, the, the, the good news of the gospel. He was teaching a, about coming to, to set people free from the bondage and the oppression of sin. See, they had a greater oppressor than Rome. They had an eternal oppressor that was sin that would lead them to eternal separation from God and ultimately, ultimately that type of spiritual death. So Jesus knew what they wanted, but he also knew what they needed. And so that's why it says he began to teach them many things. Jesus gives them, as we'll see, as we read, the physical bread, but he also offers them life. Because he is the good shepherd. He is the true shepherd. Well, third, we see this. Jesus was moved with compassion. 
and began the message with the theme of compassion because I want us to see that this miracle certainly has that as an overarching theme. It clearly comes through. It says that, that he looked at the crowd and had compassion on them. And in the Greek language, this, this word is very intense. It, 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 would, it, would, it would be defined as not only seeing the need, but feeling the need. Now, we might say, oh, I feel that in my heart, or I feel that within me. Well, they would say, I feel it in the gut. And, and really, that's an accurate statement. Have you ever had compassion for someone and really felt it in your stomach? Have you ever seen, like, like, like maybe it was, was pictures of, of children who are starving, and you, you see that need, and, it, and it's not just something you see with your eyes, but you, you feel it? That's, that's that word, gnosko, compassion. He had that feeling, and he had it because he understood what was in their minds. He understood their desperation. He understood their oppression, and he felt it in a very real way. Let me ask you, church family, do you think that Jesus still has that kind of compassion for people who don't know him? Do you think he looks around at the, at the brokenness in our world, the brokenness in our community, the oppression of, of sin that, that, that just wears people down and takes advantage and misleads and, 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 and destroys? Would he look at people that have been victims of that and still have this kind of compassion? Absolutely. And I think what we will see today is that, that that compassion is to come through his people. His church is to have that same kind of Christ-like compassion. You see, most people in our day, most people in our community can be described like these people, like sheep without a shepherd. And we look at them and we see the belief system that they hold to, or we see their, their way of life. We see all kinds of things in, in, the, in the media or in the entertainment industry. We, we see all of these things that are upsetting. But it should serve as a reminder that these are people. This is a nation, a world, a city that are filled with sheep who do not have that shepherd. A shepherd that, that you and I, by His grace, have met. That we've, we have experienced his compassion. We've experienced his grace. We've been set free from the oppressor. And we have new life in him. We sang about it. And some of you sang about it with enthusiasm, right? I, I, I stepped out of that grave. I'm no longer who I once was. Why? Because Christ had compassion. Christ gave new life. And we live among a people who have not yet experienced that. So here's the application. Do we possess the compassion of the shepherd? Are we concerned for those who do not know him? You see, I think in light of what we're reading about the compassion of Christ, the Colossians 3.12 is instructive for us. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. Put it on. Be known for compassion. Let it, let it surround your being. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And let me ask you, what do those words, who do those words remind you of? Do they describe anyone that maybe we've been talking about today? <laughs> yeah, right, the Sunday school answer. Jesus, right? 
So these describe him, but they also are to describe us. It's us. We are the ones that are to be a picture of his compassion. Have you ever heard of the people group known as the Bedouins? The Bedouins are uh, really a very nomadic group. And when we served with the International Mission Board, we, we heard about the Bedouin community. They, they, are, they are difficult people to reach uh, because they move around a lot. They travel. And they, 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 they live in, in hard places to go to, deserts. They live, you can find the Bedouin people in North Africa, all the way into the Middle East. In fact, uh, there's a picture here that you can, you can look at. You can maybe make out that's a tent back behind. So here they are in the middle of a desert, living in a tent, almost like a caravan with camels just going from, from place to place. The Bedouins, the Bedouin community. Well, they, 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 they're called that because the Arabic word Badawi means desert dweller. And they, they, they live in a rugged uh, desert terrain, but, but within their community, they have an old saying that concerns water and the horrible practice of failing to identify it for others' use in the future. You hear what I'm saying? This is what they say. The great sin of the desert is knowing where to find water and failing to tell others. That's what the Bedouins say. Now, brothers and sisters, we live in a dry and weary land. And by His grace, we have found the water. We have found the food. We have had our spiritual thirst and hunger. We've had it taken care of in Christ and what He has done. And so we live in this world. May the compassion of Christ move us just as Jesus Himself was moved. Let's look at the fourth point. Jesus provides what is needed. I know what you're saying. Four points today. I just a bonus point, right? Just say we got the three, but then we get one extra one. Or maybe two. We'll see. Anyway, we read the miracle. We know that Jesus provides the food. But notice this interaction he has in verse 37. I, I tried to pause to emphasize it when I was reading it. Because when the disciples make the request that, that the people be dismissed to go find some food in the, in the villages, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they respond by saying, well, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? I, I think there may have been a little sarcasm in that question. What are we supposed to do? I mean, what's 200 denarii? One denar denarius was a single day's wage for a Roman soldier. So even in that higher level of income, that would have been two. 100 days salary, okay? So you can compute that up for what that is for you and think about 200 days of it and just see if that's on hand to go and feed this crowd of thousands. That, that's the question they were asking. But why did Jesus, why did he ask them this? Why did he tell them to do it? I believe it's because he wanted them to see that they were in an impossible situation, a situation that they could not handle with their own resources. And that's an important point. It's important for us to see this. Yes, he's going to provide, but he provides because only he can provide. They're in an impossible situation. They, knew, they know full well they cannot give out food to thousands of people. They know full well this is a problem they cannot solve. See, this is where there's a lesson for 
the disciples. Pastor and author Skip Heitzig explains it this way. He says the problem they had is that they are underestimating their master and overestimating their problem. Now, isn't it a good thing that we don't do that? That was just something the disciples did back in the day, right? Because we, we wouldn't underestimate the, the master, would we? Would you or I ever overestimate a problem? You bet we would. In fact, we probably have recently, right? And so there's a, there's a message here for us. When we, when we look at the compassion of Christ, and now we're looking at the sufficiency of Christ, We've got to take that sufficiency for what it means in an impossible situation that we don't have the resources to be able to figure out. Sometimes God allows us to be in those situations so that we can get a a picture. We can see Him doing things that only He can do. It's not a bad position to be in. So Jesus was calling these disciples to do something they could not do. He was teaching them to recognize their insufficiency while at the same time realizing His sufficiency. Now this miracle is also described in John 6, as I said earlier. And we see in John's account that he does a good job of explaining, yes, there was physical bread served, but there was also a purpose behind that more than just filling their stomachs. He wanted to demonstrate to them who he was. In fact, we looked at this earlier in the summer, one of the I am statements, right? I am the bread of life. That here he is to give them something that sustains them physically, but he himself is the bread for new life. It's the gospel message that that you and I know that he has come to give life. John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, Those who were listening understood what he was saying. And there were some that were conspiring to kill him right there because they felt like it was blasphemous for him to say he's the bread from heaven. Who but God could be this, right? Well, he was definitely making a divine claim. We looked at that earlier this summer. So I want us to see that that the miracle not only demonstrates the compassion of Jesus meeting physical needs, but also those very deep spiritual eternal needs. He has come to be our bread, to be the sustaining satisfier of our souls. The the picture of God's provision takes us all the way back to Exodus chapter 15, where Moses is providing manna. God's providing manna, right? He's providing in Moses' day. Jesus now is the new Moses. Jesus is the greater Moses. He's not just calling on the heavens to to bring the bread and the manna. He said, I am. I am the bread. It's me. So to all those souls who are hungry, yearning to be satisfied, maybe some who are here today who have tried to fill their spiritual stomachs, if you will, and to see that the things of the world come up empty time 
and time and time again. I invite you to do what David declared when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, Jesus alone is uniquely able to meet the needs of our souls. Again, he not only gave bread to the hungry, but he himself is the bread of life. Let's look at our fifth point. I know, five points. This is the last one, all right? This is it. Jesus works through ordinary people. I know, I know, but we're almost done. We can't miss this final point. You see, Jesus meets the needs of the people, but did you notice that when he was performing the miracle that he did it in a very specific way? Did you notice that he took the bread and what did he do with it? He gave it to the disciples. And the disciples distributed it. And it says he even gave them more bread. They distributed that. Distributed the fish. Jesus gave it to the disciples who then gave it to the hungry people. Now, if this was only a miracle about showing the, the, the sustaining sufficiency of Jesus, he could have just had that food just drop down from the sky right into their laps. But he didn't do it that way. He wanted to work through his disciples. And let's not miss it. He gave them what they needed so that they could then be a blessing to others. I think there's something really important here for us. Very important because it's a picture of the hands of Jesus serving the hands of his disciples and the hands of his disciples serving the crowd, the community. You see, the followers of Jesus are meant to be an extension of His mercy, an extension of His power in the lives and of, of those who are around us. So, so as we think about that, I want to ask you, is there anyone in your life that has a need? Is there anyone that, is, that, that, that you've heard about or that you've recognized that there is a need? Maybe you've even prayed for God to bless them. You see, we, we are... We're surrounded by people who have needs, urgent spiritual and physical needs. And we might, we might look at them, and listen to me, we might, we might just give the disciples response. <laughs> well, what am I supposed to do, Lord? Take 200 days salary and go do X, Y, or Z? When all along we're talking to the one who is the ultimate definition of provision and sufficiency. So instead of saying, Lord, I don't have it, what we say is, Lord, you've got it. You've got what they need, and somehow you want me to give it to them. Have you ever been in that situation before? Where you knew that, that God was working through you to give something to someone in desperation? Now, in the Friday newsletter, we asked that question. And several of you responded. I think we, we had it on Facebook as well. Here's the question. God works through his people to be a blessing to others. Do you agree with that? Three of us do. All right. God works through his people to be a blessing to others. Amen. Amen. All right. A few more than three. When this happens through you, in which of the following ways are you most likely to help someone else? And here is the results of our Obviously an unscientific survey, right? But here's the results. 43% of you all that responded said, 
It's a material need. Maybe I can help with with a meal, or I can help with, with money. I can help with something materially, and I know that God has given to me, and I'm able to give to another. And we've, that's evident. We see that among, among our church family. Here's the second one. God gives me a timely word of encouragement to give to someone else. Because church family, I'll tell you, when, when someone is desperate and someone is broken, they may need you to dig for the resources out of the Word of God because they may be so numb, they don't even know where to look, right? But as you interact with them, something comes to mind from the Word and you're able to give a word of encouragement. 38% of those that were in the survey said, yes, I have sensed that God has given me something to give someone else. Here's the third one. Spiritual truth. That it's not just a word of encouragement, it's a word of equipping. There's about 10% that say, I believe I've, I've had that experience. God gave it to me, I gave it to someone else that they could be equipped for what they were going through. And then there were about 9% that had other thoughts that came to mind. So I put that up there to ask you, which way are you most likely to help someone else? Jesus stands ready to meet the deepest needs of our souls, of our lives but also to see His resources given to those that He surrounds us with. May we have His compassion. May we give, may we serve, may we sacrifice, may we share Jesus with those in need, and may we look to God to supply the resources, just like He did for the disciples. And I know we can say that we're inadequate. I know that we can say that, 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 that we just can't do it. And that's the point. We can't. That's why we turn to Him. He's the one that's glorified when, when it works out because we know. And if, and if we as a church or we as an individual only attempt the things that we think we can do with our own resources, shame on us. Shame on us. We should step out in faith. We should attempt things that if only God arrives and if only God provides, is it something that can be achieved? That's, that's stepping out, right? And that's what we are to do. We're to do that in this life. We are to do that as a church family. When we see these opportunities, we move and we trust, knowing, yes, we are ordinary people, but we serve a supernatural Savior. We've seen that all summer. And so if there's anyone that should be ready to step out and give that word or help meet that need or help start something brand new. Yes, it should be us. But these disciples are not only learning to reflect the compassion of Jesus, relying on the resources from Jesus, but they are also receiving His blessing. To the very end, let me just ask you, can you imagine what it would have been like to be present when Jesus gave that miracle to that group of people. Can you imagine being one of the disciples, having just handed out the, the bread and the fish, and you're coming back to Jesus? Can you imagine the, the, the look on their faces? Can you imagine the, the exuberance and the joy of, I just can't believe what, what happened here, right? They were receiving a blessing by being a part of the work. They were being faithful to what God had instructed them to do. Even something that was humanly impossible. And now they're coming back. And we read at the end that there in verse 43, 
that the disciples pick up what is left. And it tells us how many baskets are left. Twelve. How many disciples are there? Do you think that maybe God is also saying, I'm providing for you as well. There's a resource there for the laborer. A resource for the one who is serving. Yes, God is taking care of their needs just as He was taking care of the needs of the crowd around them. When you serve with Christ, again, with the resources of Christ, with the compassion of Christ, there is a blessing. And Jesus will not only show Himself to be enough for others. He will also show Himself to be enough for you. So with that in mind, let's have our response time. We've looked at a lot today. What is it that's here for you? Is it the word to take a time for rest and renewal? Is it a word to be reminded of the compassion, that gut-level compassion of Christ? Is it a reminder that there is provision that's beyond your own resources, that gives you hope to know that it's not a lost cause, whatever it is that you're, you're going through? Is it a, a reminder that there are people, maybe some names have come to your mind, family members or friends, maybe someone from your school or someone from your neighborhood or your workplace, and you know, you look at them and you feel that compassion. Maybe the call is to step out and begin to try to meet a need with what God gives you. So at this time, I'm going to ask our prayer and encouragement team if they'd make their way to the tables. You may have a, a need that you'd like someone to talk with you about, to pray with you. Maybe you have a question about what it means to come to Christ as Savior. That you feel that your soul is hungry and you need Him. They'll talk with you about that. Maybe you're going through a situation where you're, you're praying for wisdom or guidance or, or you're hurting and just need a, a brother or sister to, to pray with you. They, they're there for you. It's also obviously a place for our guests to stop by and pick up information. So we'd love to meet you in person. But wherever you are today, let this response time be between you and Him. Let's pray together as the ushers come forward this morning. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank You that we have a Savior who is compassionate. And we know that as you look at this crowd assembled today, that you see the needs, you see the heartache, you see the wounds, you see the questions, you see the desperation. So Father, we pray that now you will do your work among us. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Help us, Lord, to draw near to you as you draw near to us. And Father, may we also express to you our gratitude that you are a compassionate Savior, a sufficient Lord, one who has blessed and given with abundance. Lord, may we collectively give you the thanks and the praise. Father, we pray that you'll give us your eyes to see the needs in our community. Give us your eyes to see the needs that are around us because we want to be a conduit of your blessing to others. So Father, have your way now. Bless the, the response. Bless those who are meeting at the tables. Bless those who are giving in the offering. Bless those who are praying and seeking you earnestly today. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people said this.